I'm Katie Brain and you're listening to Goodness Gracious Grief. Now, a job I didn't expect to be doing when I was 27 was planning a funeral. But being my dad's next of kin, I was responsible for making all the arrangements. I suddenly found myself being the sole decision maker for end of life decisions, such as choosing the outfit my dad was to be buried in, deciding the colour of flowers that would accompany his coffin, deciding who would carry that coffin down the aisle of the church, and deciding what would be my final words. As well as this, I was choosing the hymns to sing in church, and the songs that would reflect how my dad would have wanted to be remembered. And one of the most frustrating things at this time was designing the order of service for the day. That took a lot longer than expected. All these things I really didn't want to be doing in the days just after my dad's death. But they were and they are things that have to be done. That last send-off for my dad was really, really important. At the time when I was making all of these decisions, there was always doubt in myself. These were such big decisions to make and I had to make them without the one person who would know all the answers to what he would want. The first question was what kind of service would my dad want? Luckily, this was an easy decision out of all of it. My dad was really into his family history and had often spoken about where family members had been buried and spent a lot of time looking into this. Um, My nan was also buried locally, so it made sense to get the plot next to her. So burial it was, but then once that decision made, a hundred more just followed. The hymns, the readings, the flowers, the cars, the wake, the food, you get the drift. But then I found myself choosing a coffin. There were so many options. Now, my logic in this was there was a lot of furniture in my dad's house, which was, you know, a dark mahogany colour. So I assumed he must like it, so dark mahogany coffin it was. Decision made. I also found myself listening to my dad's iPod, trying to guess what his favourite song was. And then hanging up his clothes, deciding what to dress him in. It seemed suitable for him to wear a suit, that's what you normally do, isn't it, when someone's having a funeral? But the only time he ever wore a suit was if there was a family wedding. Um, I probably only ever saw him in a suit twice in his whole life, or my life. Maybe I should have put him in his rugby top. That's what he was in most of the time. But I did make the decision to put his favourite sheepskin coat in the coffin. Now, I know that may seem silly, but he wouldn't be seen without it. Luckily, it all came together, and when the day came, the car arrived, and we drove my dad to the church, past the house he grew up in, and a a few other sites, you know, from his childhood on the way, and he was carried into the church by some close family members and and his friends um, to swing low, sweet chariot. It wasn't a rugby version, it was sung by the the full rugby squad choir, so... uh, Yes, if you haven't heard it, definitely go check it out. Even thinking about it just sends tingles down my um, spine. Um, so that really, you know, set, set the tone of the service. But thinking back to that day, it really is like an out-of-body experience. 
I don't know how I was so composed through the whole thing. I even stood at the front of the church and it taken me days to choose the reading that I was going to do. Um, but I went with If Tears Could Build a Stairway and Thoughts the Memory Lane, I'd walk right up to heaven and bring you home again. It obviously goes on a bit longer than that, but after the service, I was then stood at the cemetery over my dad's grave and I, I chose another reading. Um, and that was read just before we lowered the coffin into the ground and then we were throwing flowers on, on top of the coffin saying our last goodbyes. But yeah, looking back at that now, I don't know how I had the strength to do all of that, to stand there alone, make those decisions in the first place, um, so soon after my dad's death. I guess I just did a very traditional thing. I had the choice of cremation or burial. I chose burial. But there are so many options I didn't even know about. A lot of cheaper options too, but let's not get started on the price. Um, And in my research into funeral costs and alternative services, I came across my next guests, Kate T and Kate D. I guess the question here is, would you assemble and paint your own flat pack coffin? Well, Kate and Kate... They run a club for people who want to do just that, the Coffin Club. Now, the Coffin Club is a safe space to talk about death and plan your perfect send-off. It's a place to come and learn about all the options available to you for your end-of-life celebration so that you're not simply channeled into having, as Kate would say, 20 minutes up the creme. I spoke to Kate T and started by asking, where did you both meet and where did this idea come from? Kate and I used to be marriage registrars together. Um, We worked for East Sussex County Council. Then we got a bit fed up with doing that because it's public sector. The service was being squished a bit. Um, And we wanted to offer a more personalised service, so we decided we would become independent celebrants. We left three three years ago, and um, we're doing weddings. We then very quickly realised that we're busy for about five months of the year, and then it's only Saturdays, and the rest of the time you're basically unemployed. So the obvious thing to do was to do funerals as well. So we went and did the training, which we kind of thought was okay. We weren't sort of, you know, totally blown away by it. We uh, took from it what we could. Um, Some of it was not really for us. So we sort of just ignored that. Um, then we started to get the odd funeral as funeral celebrants and, um, it was pretty much the 20 minutes up the creme standard format that you think of when you think of a British funeral. So not very long in, uh, we kind of turned to each other and said, is this the kind of funeral that you would want or is it the sort of funeral you would want for a member of your family and both of us 
said no. <laughs> uh, no, it, it, it isn't. Um, so that's not to say it doesn't have its place. That doesn't mean to say that for some people that's exactly what they want and exactly what is right for them. Um, but equally, we thought there must be people who think like us and who think they would like something different. So because we were um, wedding celebrants, we went to lots of really nice venues, village halls, hotels, um, lovely converted barns. So we started asking them if they would do funeral um, ceremonies. So at first they were all like, oh, do you mean the wake? Do you mean the celebration afterwards? And we were like, no, we mean the actual ceremony with the coffin in situ. Um, because we'd realised you can really easily separate the cremation or burial from the celebration of life. So all these venues were saying, yeah, you know, I don't see any reason why not, because it makes complete economic sense. You know, they're busy at the weekends, but they're not so busy during the week. So why would they not, you know, hire out their premises and make money? Um, so off we skipped to our local funeral directors, full of naive excitement, um, and said, oh, we've spoken to all these fabulous venues, and, you know, um, would you offer them as an alternative to the crematorium, to families? And um, they said no. <laughs> and we sort of said, oh, well, do you think, you know, that families might be interested in you did offer them and they said no and they said well nobody's ever asked us um for anything else so we thought well no nobody's ever asked because they don't then they're not aware that that's actually an option and maybe if you offered it to them um they you know would jump at that so um us being us well actually kate will say me being me i was like right well you know nobody's ever asked because nobody knows so maybe the thing to do is to educate people to tell them that you know you can do absolutely anything you like you don't have to have 20 minutes up the creme Kate's point here is if you know about the options available to you and you still want to go down that traditional route that is absolutely fine there are no right or wrongs here but what did they want people to gain from Coffin Club? So what we want them to gain is um, empowerment. We want them to have knowledge. When you're bereaved and you go to a funeral director, um, not all, I will stress that fact, we have funeral directors come and, and talk at Coffin Club. We are not anti-funeral director at all. You know, they serve a, a role and lots of them are really fantastic um, and very forward-thinking. But there, there's also the situation where you are bereaved, you go to a funeral director and you are offered package A, B or C. You can have the bronze package, the silver package or the gold package. You know, and they may have things in them that you neither want or need and they may not contain things that you would like. Um, uh, but that's what you're being offered and anything extra is on top. Um, and at that point, because you're bereaved, it's very difficult to ask questions, to think creatively, to start saying, hang on a minute, why does that cost that much? And, uh, you know, yeah, it's not the time when you will be doing that. 
So Coffin Club is about doing that ahead of time, asking all those questions, finding out all that stuff, um, so that at a point of bereavement, it, it's all done. Because we go to families who are bereaved and part of their anxiety is not knowing what the person wanted and they want to get it right and they're worried about that but they didn't ever have those conversations because um i think as we know as british people very good at avoiding difficult conversations particularly ones that involve emotion we don't like those um so coughing club is uh, about that having those conversations ahead of time Coffin Club is not morbid. It's about creating a space to enable these conversations to take place. It gives a family member a chance to say, guess what I learned today at Coffin Club? This is what I want to do. But are there any laws about what we do? There are no laws. There are no laws in this country around your end-of-life celebration. There's nothing to stop you keeping a body at home for quite a length of time. You know, um, there's nothing to stop you having your end-of-life celebration wherever you like. As long as, in the final instance, you um, dispose of the body correctly, which means either cremation or burial. Burial can be on your own land, as long as it's not near a watercourse. It can be on someone else's land, as long as they've agreed and it's not near a watercourse. You know, so all this stuff. And we want to myth bust because people come and they say, oh, I thought it was the law. I thought it was the law that you have to use the funeral director. I thought it was the law that you have to have your service at the crematorium. I just did a service in the back garden and you know, one of the grown-up daughters said that to me. Oh, you know, I thought it was the law that you had to go to the crematorium and do the service there. So there's a lot of misinformation that means people just doing it the same way. And, you know, to the extent that even someone dressed as a Victorian, I don't understand why that's respectful. It's tradition and it has come to symbolise respect, but actually... It isn't actually about respect. It's just something that's happened because we've got stuck in the Victorian era um, way of doing funerals and we've never moved on. What actually happens at a coffin club? So coffin club runs over a course of six weeks. So in Hastings, it's a Wednesday morning, three hours. The first hour is an invited speaker. So um, we have um, a more alternative funeral director. We then have a more conventional funeral director. We have the manager of our local crematorium and cemetery. We have a lady who did a family-led funeral for her husband. So she kept his body at home over a long Maybank holiday weekend. (laughs) And... uh, She bought the coffin off the internet. Um, She delivered him to the church because they had a a church service uh, in her daughter's like estate car. Um, She did the whole thing. It cost her less than a thousand pounds, which is completely and utterly unheard of and amazing. And, you know, through keeping her husband's body at home, she felt she had time to say goodbye to him. Um, you know, there's this 
mad rush to get a body off the premises you know oh you must you must phone the funeral director immediately and yeah it's going to start oozing and leaking and blowing up you know yes there are certain medical conditions certain things that will make a body deteriorate more quickly than other times but you know we have end-of-life doulas they come one week and you know one of our end-of-life doulas he said I've been doing this for 10 years I've helped loads of people keep a body at home and only twice has it deteriorated significantly and both times because we'd talked about it and they knew what to expect they were able to cope with it because actually but it, the person is dead and maybe part of um, coming to terms with that is the actual process. You know, I, I think, you know, people being embalmed and made to look almost healthier than when they die is not necessarily psychologically that brilliant. Perhaps an acceptance of death and what happens when we die is healthier. Everyone wants different things, so by raising awareness about the options available, it's allowing people to make the right decisions for them, for their end-of-life celebrations. Everyone gets a, a funeral wish list and the chance to listen to these different speakers to open their mind and, and broaden their thoughts on you know, what would be the best goodbye service for them. But what else happens at a coffin club? Second half, so then we have a cup of tea. <laughs> then those people that are decorating a coffin stay for the last hour and a half but not everybody does so last time we had 20 people 15 of them just did the talks five of them stayed and decorated a, a coffin um so the first week is putting the coffins together. They come flat packed like IKEA furniture and use an Allen key to put them Very together. Handy. <laughs> yes. Then we decorate them. Um, and then week six, we have a tea party and they can bring um, family. Well, family members can come anytime, but they're particularly invited week six to come for the tea party and mum, dad's, whoever's coffin. <laughs> and, um, you know, it becomes, again, a, a process and a conversation. And, um, yeah, I think that's very healthy. What's the most memorable design that you've seen? People always think, they think of those amazing Nigerian coffins that, you know, look like tigers and parrots and are brilliant. Ours, not so much. Um, most of our coffin clubbers, including Kate and I, Kate and I are singularly untalented artistically. <laughs> we just, yeah, you don't give us a paintbrush because we're useless. Um, so they're not necessarily like amazing works of art, but it's more about the process, you know, nothing focuses your mind more about your life than thinking about what you want to put on your coffin so quite often it's more of a case of you know printing out pictures gluing and sticking um but it's things that are important to people's lives so we had one guy who had worked in the print works at the daily express so he had like 
um, red top banners and headlines. And um, he also had this way up and handle with care on his coffin, which is quite funny. Um, we had a woman whose daughter um, was severely brain damaged. She had a, a really bad epileptic fit and was severely brain damaged. So she's, per, she's in permanent care. And the lady whose coffin it was is a lone parent to her. And she really didn't want her coffin to be a scary thing because she was like, you know, it's going to be really difficult for my daughter anyway. So she painted it hot pink and stuck unicorns and flowers and like birds of paradise and stuff all over the top. And then Elvis all around the side. Um, we had someone who liked music, so she put like musical notes all over. We had someone who loved Prosecco, so there was a bottle of Prosecco stuck on the end. Um, we had one guy called Ben who actually is a proper talented artist, so he is proper art and really amazing. So, yeah, they are, they're kind of all different, and it's all just sort of what represents what's important to people, I suppose. Although there is all this fun happening, this is a space for people to open up to discussions about death and a chance to let their loved ones know their final wishes. Yeah, it's it's absolutely that. And, you know, the first week people have that slight look of trepidation. Um, but then they have that, you know, when you start an evening class, you have that, don't you? You look around the room and you think, oh, God, what have I signed up for? <laughs> um but within five minutes, they're really comfortable and sharing. I think because Kate and I, we talk about death a lot, all the time. Um, we don't use euphemisms. So we don't say passed away. We don't, um, you know, use any uh, gone to sleep. <laughs> Went to sleep. But they didn't ever wake up again. Um, <laughs> So, so we don't use any euphemisms. We're very kind of frank. I think because we're not um, we're not awkward about the subject, we give people permission to not be awkward about it. You know, sometimes somebody might cry because it might bring up something. But, you know, that's life. I'm not very good about being snowflakey and something might trigger something and we've all got to be terribly careful um we are careful and we're respectful and we set up in the first week that you know if anybody needs to go off and have a little breather they can do that but we're also very clear that we're not a counseling service and if you feel that's something you need we can signpost you to that but that's not what we do so i think people know well they've signed up for something called coughing club <laughs> I think they know that we're going to be talking about that. Um, and then we just make it, I think we we give people permission to talk about it. We normalise it. And, you know, it's not that long ago that it was normal. It was normal to have granddad laid out in the front room. It was normal to, you know, take care of these proceedings yourself. It's 
become abnormal, but actually it's not. It's normal and it should be normal. So we're kind of trying to wrestle back control, I suppose, in our safe space. And finally, who is your market in all of this? It's for anyone who's going to die. And we find that lots of people that come to Coffin Club, they've come because... um, They have had this experience where their elderly mum or dad has died and planning the funeral has been a really not very pleasant experience. And they haven't always felt satisfied with the finished result and they don't want their kids to be in that position or their family or whoever. Um, So they want to plan ahead. We've had two two of our coffin covers die. that's the downside of running a club. <laughs> it's about death. Um, but we console ourselves in that, you know, they got the send-off that they wanted, particularly one guy. You know, he wanted to be buried on the land at the back of his house, and he really didn't know if he could do that. And he would definitely have ended up having 20 minutes at the creme because he would have left it and then his family would have been channeled into that. As it was, he had the service in the village hall. He was drummed across to the burial bit. Um, And it was, you know, completely amazing and just what he would have wanted. Then the other demographic is generally older people. But having said that, you know, we've had one 90-year-old. We've had a few people in their 80s. Then quite a few in their 70s and then we've had a a few that are 60 plus who you know like I said before they've done mum and dad's funeral they haven't enjoyed it and they've thought you know what I'm going to sort this out and then once you've sorted it out you just get on with living your life you don't have to keep thinking about it you know I'm not suggesting you then (laughs) think about death every day until you die because you've You've dealt with it, it's fine. And, you know, it's really funny. I went to this local group that was for older people and I said to them, oh, can we come and um, promote Coffin Club and we will promote your club because we're a natural fit. And they were completely freaked out by the idea and um, they said, oh, you know, we don't want it to feel like you're targeting um, older people. And I said, well, I am targeting older people. <laughs> I think they're probably aware that they're in the final part of their life. And what I want to do is provide them with a service that means they're empowered to take control of that. So what I want to do is offer them something that's really brilliant and good and healthy for them. And actually, I think it's really patronising to suggest that older people you know, oh, we can't talk to them. You know, they if they're in their 80s, they lived through a war. I think they can cope with me coming and going, do you want to come to Coffin Club? That was Kate T, one of the founders of Coffin Club, which is a safe space to talk about death and plan your perfect send-off. It's a place to come and learn about all the options available to you for your end-of-life celebration. Their UK-based DIY coffin scheme was inspired by a build-your-own-coffin project established by a community group of seniors in New Zealand. But whether you are nearing the end of life or simply thinking about your legacy, the Cates say that for all those concerned, Coffin Club 
is a labour of love. To find out more or to see if there's any clubs in your area, then visit www.coughingclub.co.uk. I'm Katie Brain and you've been listening to Goodness Gracious Grief. Gracious Grief.